Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Previously on Maverick. After five or six days, my uncle's swelling was gone. And together, my uncle and nine policemen became believers. Bishara's mom was healed. And she was so happy, and she said, I'm in the light, I'm in the light. He's got 25 people that he's leading and discipling. And over about the next two months, that 25 turns into 50. You're listening to Maverick. And in order to understand what Bashar is up against next, we need to take a few steps back. Back to before Bashar's story even began. A couple decades ago, there was a president in this part of Africa who committed crimes against humanity. He had gotten increasingly fearful of an uprising, and in order to maintain power, he sent his generals out to kill thousands of innocent civilians. These generals went into villages, kidnapping anyone who seemed even slightly suspicious. They set up detention centers all around the country where they tortured people for information. They were murdering people as a way of life and getting rich off the spoils. Eventually there was a coup in the country, and that president got overthrown. He fled, and many of his high-ranking officials followed suit. So here's why all that matters. Bashar's dad, was one of those generals. And not just any general. He was at the top. A five-star, highly decorated general. He helped develop the new form of torture that got deployed in those detention centers. He didn't discriminate between killing criminals and murdering infants. He even kept a journal with a list of people he had killed. And it wasn't a short list. When the president fled, Bashara's dad did too. Which is why Bashara hadn't ever visited his family in that part of Africa before. His dad relocated his family to another country and managed to take his wealth with him. He started a few new businesses, owned several houses in several different countries, and he kept a lot of people in his back pocket with his money. He also maintained his connections with people in the military who hadn't fled, which made him the kind of guy who could call in favors and people would listen. All that to say, Bashara didn't have a normal dad, and he wasn't facing a normal family feud. His dad was rich, well-connected, capable of getting what he wanted, and comfortable with murder. And he was really mad at what Bashara was doing. So when Bashara got a call from him saying that he was coming into town and he wasn't going to leave until Bashara was dead, he knew it wasn't an empty threat. Bashara's dad's left eye, I believe, is starting to go bad. And he gives Bashara a call and he says, what are you doing? And he says, look, I'm just, I'm a Christian. And he said, you've put a curse on me because my eye is going bad. This is from you. And he says, I'm coming to town next week. And one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to return to Islam and come back with me back home, or I'm going to kill you. And I promise you, one of those two things is going to happen. He even described in graphic detail what he was going to do to Bashara's body once he was dead. And obviously, this conversation left Bashar pretty rattled. But then there were the other calls over the next few weeks, 
someone calling and hanging up, men he didn't know calling and making death threats, people calling to warn him. Understandably, Bashar was getting nervous. As much as we wanted to just kind of um, help him to escape the situation, um, Bashar was was resolute that he wanted to stay in the city, that he wanted to uh, reach his family uh, with the love and power of Jesus Christ. So despite how uneasy it made everyone feel, Bashar decided that he was going to stay. He wasn't totally sure what he was going to do, but he wasn't going to run away. And then he got a call that was different. It was weird, actually. It was his dad, but he was being nice. He asked Bashar to pray for his eye in the name of Jesus, which of course, Bashar did. They had a series of these weirdly pleasant interactions over the phone, and eventually Bashar's dad asked him if they could get together. It did not seem right to me, and it did not seem right to Dan, but um, Bashar was so hopeful that uh, his father would come to Christ, even after everything that he had been to. I mean, keep in mind by this time, He's already been shot at twice. He's been beaten. He's been put in prison. Um, and this is all just within the past few months. And so we we gave him the best advice that we could. We had always discipled Bashada to be his own man, to make his own decisions, and for him to trust the authority and lead in the scripture in his life. And I know it's probably kind of tempting to be a bit hard on Dan and Ryan in all of this. Like when Bashar is trying to figure out how to make these life and death sort of decisions, and he's looking to them for wisdom, why don't they ever just tell him not to go? And I asked Dan that. And for him, it came down to this. Either Bashara was going to learn to listen to him, or Bashara was going to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. As workers, we have a choice. Like, you can go one of two ways. You can try to protect the new believer, and a lot of people, you know, will go links to even try to get them, get persecuted people out of the country. Um, and I just didn't have that conviction and only the Lord could really take care of him. It became this theme. He kept on showing up and doing these miraculous things to save him. It really just like propelled the gospel of Christ forward in these amazing ways. And if I had tried to kind of like guard him or protect him in that way, it would have done the opposite. So Bashara was learning to trust God and make his own decisions. And like Ryan said, he was hopeful that his dad might actually come to know the Lord. He asked me to pray for his eye in the name of Jesus. And that gave me a little hope. When I answered the phone, he said to me, peace be with you. So that gave me a little more hope. I thought this might be a trap, but maybe good will come from it. And for Bashara, the small possibility that good could come from it outweighed the risk. So he grabbed his Bible and headed out the door to meet up with him. But what happened between Bashara and his dad that day was a mix between New Testament narrative and a Wild West showdown. Bashara walked in the room and the first thing he saw was his dad sitting down, smoking a cigar and holding a pistol. In the room behind him was Bashara's uncle, his mom, sister, and half-brother. Behind them were 15 elders from his family's clan, two religious leaders, and two unknown men from another tribe who were both armed. And his dad tells him to sit down. So, he sits down. And his dad says, I'm going to kill you, but first I want to know why you've become a Christian. And so Bashar has this 
incredible opportunity to tell his dad the whole story. And in the process of telling his dad what God had done in his life, he mentioned that his mom had been healed and believed. So she chimed in and told her story. And while telling her story, she mentioned that Bashara's sister and half-brother became Christians too. So his dad turned to them and asked if it was true. And they both said yes. And after hearing all of this, he turned to Bashara's uncle and asked him, why didn't you kill him like I told you to? And his uncle explained that he had tried. He shot Bashara twice in the head and nothing happened. So he burned his stuff, kicked him out, beat him, tore up the Bible, and threw him in jail. But then he got sick and had a vision and got healed and believed in Jesus. Which was kind of the breaking point. His dad couldn't take it anymore, and he ordered his two armed men to take Bashara out to the car. And that's when his mom just like went into mom mode. She ran out of the room to find a big stick. And she came back and she said, if you touch him, I'm gonna crack your head open. So then the two armed guys pull out their guns and say, if you hurt him, we'll shoot you. And then my uncle pulled out his gun and said, if you shoot her, I will shoot everyone in this room. And so there's this standoff. His dad has his pistol pointed at Bashara. His mom has got this club next to his dad, ready to whack him with it. The two men are pointing their guns at my mom. His uncle's got his gun out pointed at Bashara's dad. And Bashara is, he's got a Bible. That's, what, that's all he has in his hand. And it became obvious to Bashara's dad that either everyone gets out alive or no one gets out alive. So he put down his gun, turned to the Islamic leaders and asked them what he should do. And I'm not sure if this was because they were fearing for their lives or if God directed their answer, but they said that Bashar should have the right to choose what religion he wanted to follow. Bashar's dad, however, did not love that answer. And he gave the Islamic leaders the task of convincing Bashar that he was following the wrong God. And they tried. They offered a few arguments and attempted to convince him. I said to them, you have prayed. You have sacrificed a cow and a sheep to try to heal my father's eye. It has not worked. The Islamic leaders didn't have a response to that, which made his dad even more enraged. He grabbed his gun again and told Bashara he was going to kill him. And that's when Bashara's uncle kind of calls him out and says, you keep saying you're going to kill him, then do it. He even told Bashara to get up so his father could shoot him. And Bashara got up and walked toward his dad, stopping about an arm's length away from him. His mom was weeping and asked her husband to please kill her along with Bashara. His two siblings chimed in and said, if you kill them, kill us too. And then his uncle stepped up and said, you'll have to bury all of us today. And even though he was perfectly okay with murder, he was pretty divided in that moment. Of course he wanted to wipe out the shame of Bashara from the family, but killing everyone in the room might bring more shame and could even mean he dies in the process. So then as... His dad's kind of, you know, like weighing the options and he puts his gun down and he gets quiet for a minute. He's thinking and he says, give me the Bible. So Bashara goes up to his dad, hands him the Bible. He flips through it a little bit. He's quiet thinking about it. And he said, uh, I'm going to take this home and read it. And in two days, I'm going to call for you and we'll have a conversation. And then he said, get out of here. And he left. I hope it's occurring to you just how messy this whole thing is. 
Bashara's mom and siblings and uncle are new believers that are standing up where it really counts. They're putting their own lives on the line as they confess Jesus and defend Bashara. But at the same time, they're all about to kill other people if it comes to that. And there's just this rawness to who they are as they begin to follow Jesus. It's beautiful and totally misdirected all at the same time. Nothing about them is polished or presentable. They're just new believers trying to work out the kinks of righteous living, who happen to think that killing people might be a good way to please God in that moment. It reminds me of Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, ready to defend Jesus through violently chopping a guy's ear off. Peter was still working out his faith in that moment. And Jesus gently restored the soldier's ear as he talked Peter off the ledge. And in some weird way, I think God might be honored by the gumption of people like Peter and Bashar's mom. And at the very least, he can work with it. And truthfully, God used his family to save Bashar's life that day. Despite the fact that guns were pointed in every direction, Bashara walked out of there alive. And that's when he called me, and the first thing I said was, hey, you're alive! <laughs> and he laughed, and it's like, a, man, I don't know how many times we've had that kind of conversation. You're alive still, you know? Um, and once again, you know, like going into that conversation, he's like, what should I do? You know, common sense says, don't go to that meeting, right? Um, and yet I just was convinced if I try to control this, if I try to be the Holy Spirit for this guy, that's not going to be good for anybody. And he prayed and he had a conviction to go. So the decision to go back to his dad again, after all that went down, probably seems crazy. But it also speaks to Bashara's character. He loves his dad so much that there's really no length he won't go to to share Jesus with him even after his dad wants him dead. That is loving your enemy. And Bashara loves the gospel so much that there really isn't anything he won't risk for the sake of it. If walking into sketchy situations means an opportunity to speak about Jesus, Bashara's walking in. So yes, it's crazy, but faith often is. And with a history of miraculous intervention and supernatural conversions, it also isn't that crazy. But even though he was walking in with a lot of faith, they all knew how risky it was. So Bashara had agreed to keep Dan updated throughout their meeting. And I would get these kind of intermittent texts from him. I'm in this room. Uh, we just had dinner. And, and then his dad tried to bribe him with the equivalent of like $10,000 US to leave Christianity and, and go back home. It's difficult for us, especially in America, to understand the ramifications of, you know, well, what it means to leave, uh, to leave Islam. Because it's, I mean, Islam is, is certainly a religion, but it's far more than a religion. Um, and Bashada's father is an international businessman and a former warlord. And so to have a son who is no longer a Muslim that was very expensive. That, that, that was costing Bashada's father a whole lot of money. That could cost him in the millions. So he offered him money. Bashada said no. He offered him a position in, in a company, anything. He was offered a house. He was offered all sorts of things. And Bashada said no. I said I didn't want money. He became angry. He started to beat me. And I cried. He said, Will you leave this religion? 
I told him, I'll never leave Jesus. And they argued like that for a while, until finally Bashara's dad got up and went into the hallway. Bashara could hear him talking to the driver who had picked him up, but he couldn't really make out what they were saying. So he got up to leave, and his dad stepped in front of him. He'll drive you home, he said, knowing that there wasn't much point of resisting and maybe even hoping that it was true, Bashara got in the car and they took off. Except the, the car didn't take him home. We're driving and then he missed my turn. I said to him, that's the way. He reached down and locked the door and continued to drive. I knew it was no good. He took him um, to a part of town that he didn't know where he was, but he he went over a bridge. And when he arrived that night, this is a Friday night, um, that was the last I heard from him. On the next episode of Maverick. He's missing. We're getting these crazy text messages. I mean, we start getting everybody we can think of to pray. It felt like we were doing the Book of Acts in real time. There was a, a role we had to play in simply standing in the gap and praying. Maverick is a Pioneers podcast. Learn more about who they are at pioneers.org. Special thanks to Fis Akanga as the voice of Bashara. 